This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. I want us to be a church serious about at least two things. Serious about our joy in Christ and serious about our willingness to obey all that it says in his word. There's probably a lot of other seriousnesses that I'd like us to be serious about, but those are at least two of them. I'm excited about seriously studying and following the Lord into his grace this morning. So this is week three in our Welcomed by Jesus series. We started week number one by saying that the invitation to life with Jesus is the great gift of God. When you're saved by God, He will do more and more and give you more and more in your life than you would know how to imagine. But nothing he gives will ever be more important than life through Jesus Christ. It is the great gift of God. And what we're invited into is being able to be ambassadors and tellers and bringers of that to other people. And so what we're going to do each of these few weeks in this series is shorter than I want it to be. But we're looking weekly at a different meal that Jesus ate with people. And what we're doing in that is we're seeing how through these meals and during these meals, through them, Jesus welcomed people in. We're told to welcome one another like Christ has welcomed us. So we say, how did Jesus welcome one another? And and these meals show us two things. First, they're just pictures. Pictures of how Jesus did this welcoming. He still welcomes people actually in this way. Revelation 3.20 says that Jesus stands at the door of each of our hearts. And if we open that door, he will come in and eat with us. There's no better decision, folks, than to open the door of your heart and have Jesus come in and eat with you. The second thing that these meals of Jesus eats with people show us is how we too, in the exact same way, exact same way, can welcome other people. So I mentioned Romans 15, 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And when we do that, it says that we glorify God in a profound way. And so I'm just loving this series because all we're really doing is talking week after week about the extravagant grace of God. So we're going to read Actually, quite a few verses this morning. This is a longer meal. There's some parables involved. There's some teaching involved. We've got to read two long sections. We're going to first read the place that we're going to spend the most amount of our time, but then we're going to have to track back pretty quickly and read the setup for what gets us here. So if you have your Bibles, let's go Luke 14. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels that tells about the life of Jesus. Chapter 14, starting at verse 12, listen as I read. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. 
When one of those who reclined a table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, being, being Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So we've picked this up mid-meal. The only clue you need to, to know that if you just started reading this for the very first time is that first sentence. Jesus said also to the man who invited him. And then he proceeds to say something that feels really pointed. Don't try to climb the social ladder with your meals. So he says to his host, don't, don't try to climb the social ladder with your meals. Jesus is compassionate and gentle and humble. And none of that is at odds with his willingness to just lay the wood when the time is right. Jesus knows where he is. And where he is, is in the middle of a trap. We've picked this up mid-trap for Jesus. And so before we get too far into this, because all of this hits harder if you know where he is and how we got here, now we just back up, beginning of the chapter, and we read where this all started. So a lot of reading, but I'll make sense of it all, hopefully. Luke 14, now go back to verse 1. One Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Okay, so let's get the picture in our minds really quick. We'll read more. Jesus has gone to the house of a Pharisee. Not all Pharisees were equally opposed to Jesus. Some Pharisees ended up following Jesus. Some were at least curious. But ultimately... Those couldn't get over how different Jesus was from the side. And then there were those who were so angry to the point that they became murderous toward Jesus. They wanted to have him killed. And so here we've probably got more of the angry crowd. It's probably where we're at. And, and I know this because it's clear to Jesus that there's more going on than you might realize at first glance. So they're having a meal after the worship at the synagogue earlier in the day. Maybe, like some of you have had in your past, the Sunday meal for us, Saturday meal uh, on the Sabbath, was the biggest, fanciest meal of the week. Uh, my sense is people don't do this as much now as they used to, but I hope if you're able, you, you could. Uh, growing up, we were at one of my grandparents' house for a Sunday dinner, I would say 75% of the time. 
Most Sundays, we were at one of their homes. So hundreds of meals. Now, almost all those meals looked identical. Hundreds of meals, we either had a roast or a ham. Never anything else. Uh, We had, if it was my mom's mom, there was, do do you guys call them aug rotten potatoes, like cheesy potatoes, right? Um, That's my mom's mom. If we were at my dad's mom, that that was mashed potatoes and gravy. They both made those cooked carrots that, don't taste very good, almost taste like dirty to me. I don't know why people like those. Sorry if you like them and make them. I don't like them. Uh, There was always bread or rolls, and then there was pie. My dad's mom made a rhubarb pie a lot. I can't figure rhubarb. If you don't know what rhubarb is, picture a sour, bitter celery, and you've kind of got rhubarb. And some people like pie with this. I don't, you have to put so much sugar in the pie that you just cover over the rhubarb taste. And, but that was, that was what we had. So this was, uh, this was for our family, the big meal of the week. We'd get together, the cousins would play, the, the, the parents would talk, my grandma would serve, wonderful meal. And we did that regularly. So that's at least some idea. This is a fancier meal, this is a more pointed meal, but that's where we're at. We're at the big worship day meal. And in those days, meals would often be more public because of the design of the house. You might serve it in a courtyard that faced the street. Many people could show up, but it's still strange what happens here. So there's a man without an invitation who all of a sudden is there and he has what's called dropsy. And it's so unexpected that this man would be there because this doesn't make any sense that many commentators believe this, this is a setup. He was brought in to trap Jesus. And that's why Jesus senses he's been lured here for an ulterior motive than just to serve him a meal. It's the Sabbath. There's a man suffering and the Pharisees want to see what Jesus would do because they want to see if he's going to work violating a command or at least their interpretation of a command on the Sabbath to heal. So so let's just get one thing straight first. Uh, This is a terrible way to treat people. The Pharisees have no compassion or empathy for this man. He's a pawn. They seem to like, in fact, they went out to find a vulnerable man so they could use him to play a, a little trick on Jesus. He's a test. So he comes in, he has dropsy. Dropsy is uh, another word for what you probably would hear uh, called edema. Uh, it's a very, edema is a, a painful swelling of the extremities, often the, the feet or the, the legs as a whole. And not all edema is serious. It, it, it can be uh, for a few other conditions, but this man's probably was serious because he was known to have it. It was a long-term condition for him. And the, the reason that he probably had it, it, it usually comes down to a few things, either congestive heart failure, a kidney disease, or a liver disease. So it's a circulatory problem that fluid has been building up and and, and the body can't properly cleanse itself. One of his major organs is failing. That's basically what it comes down to. And again, Jesus knows this is a trap because the next verse says he responded to them. That's a weird way to say it if it's not a trap. He's basically saying, all right, I'll, I'll play. Either somebody asked him what he was going to do, or they didn't have to because he just, he, he's aware of what's happening. It's a trap, not a particularly clever one. Jesus senses it right away. 
But verse 3 says, And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Now, they, they would have said, no, it's not, but that's so unloving and unkind that they just can't come out and say it. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. Now, I don't, I don't want to gloss over that. That's a, such a small part of this story, but I just told you this man had a major bodily organ failing. His heart was failing. His kidney was failing. His liver was failing. One of those three things was failing, and Jesus isn't just healing a skin condition. He's not just healing something, healing something external. He just healed a major internal organ. He did surgery without a scalpel, Okay. took him and healed him, verse five, and he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. And this is the way it always goes for the Pharisees. They do this a lot. Jesus outwits them every single time. Verse seven, now he told them a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in the place of honor. Let somebody more distinguished Then you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's key in all of these verses. Verse 11 right there. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So then what comes next? That's where we started reading. And this is the first of three things that Jesus will tell the people present there. The first thing here is Jesus tells them who God invites into the kingdom of heaven. He invites the humble. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. First, we'll talk about who God invites. Second, we're to talk about what happens to the people who God calls into the kingdom of heaven. And third, what part do the people of God play in expanding the dinner table and setting more and more places at it? Uh, So let's just ask and let's let Jesus answer these three questions for us. Question number one, who does God invite? Question number two, What does God's grace invite us into? And third, how do we play our part in others hearing about God's amazing invitation? So first, who does God invite? Where we just finished reading, where we first started, verse 12, on either side of that are really two answers, two sides of the same lesson. So Jesus is saying that God invites, God welcomes the humble. Here, in what we just finished reading, those invited in should come in humbly. In the next verses, we read at the beginning, Jesus says that when you're the ones doing the inviting, invite humbly. You see how that's two sides of the same thing? When you're invited, come in humbly. When you're doing the inviting, invite humbly. Don't invite people who are only going to be able to, who are going to be able to repay you, who are going to be able to help you. In fact, the way you invite humbly is by inviting people who can't possibly repay you. And friends, we we have to understand here and see this, see ourselves in this. This is the invitation of God, 
not just to others. This is the invitation of God to you and me. We have nothing to give him. We can't repay him with anything that he needs, yet he invites us to come in and enjoy the feast regardless. In fact, as the one who knows all things and sees all things, this is not just the way it is that God invites us this way. This is actually the way that God made it to be. There's an old hymn from the middle of the 1700s that goes, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress, helpless I look to thee for grace. We can bring nothing, but the good news is that you don't have to be able to bring anything. At the cross, Jesus paid everything that needed to be paid. If you open the door to Christ, the wrath of God against your sin has already been absorbed by Jesus. The demands of death were satisfied when he died. And all that remains for you is the welcome of Jesus. The gracious invitation to say, come in and enjoy all that is mine for it is now yours too. Jesus will always save anyone who goes to him and asks for grace. Always and everyone. That's how wide is the grace of God. So that's who God welcomes in. Everybody who comes to him and asks for grace. So long as they come with nothing in their hands. Palms open, looking to grab hold of the cross, and when they touch it, know that they are grabbing hold of grace. Isn't that something? It's completely counterintuitive to everything that we're we're prone to to thinking and, and trying to do. God exalts the humble. So that's who he invites in. Now now let's see what his grace invites us into. I think verses 13 and 14, and then we'll go to verse 21, help us to answer this question really well. So let me just read again verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The first thing we need to see here is the inversion that's taking place. So don't invite people who can repay you and therefore don't look for your reward for welcoming people now. You don't get rewarded for this now. You get rewarded at the resurrection of the just, which comes later. Instead, look for people who would just otherwise be overlooked. They're not going to look lovely. They're not going to look appealing to the world and welcome these kinds of people in. And and know that you're you're not going to receive some little prize. You won't receive a favor in return. You won't receive the friendship of somebody powerful. But those those are small things in the grand scheme of life. What you do receive when you welcome in, when you look for, when you show hospitality to the overlooked, is you receive a reward that comes after the resurrection. And folks, the time between now and the resurrection is very short when you compare it to the time after the resurrection of the just, because that goes on forever and ever and ever. If you want something that's going to last a long time, 
look for the thing that lasts after the resurrection of the just, which is to love the overlooked and to see the poor and the downtrodden, the crippled and the lame, because that's what lasts forever. And this is what God ultimately invites us into. He invites us to a life free from trying to be impressive to this temporary world. And he just says, forget all that. Be humble, bless others. Don't worry about being noticed. And he says, I see you and I see what really matters. You're going to get a great reward. And listen, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with pursuing rewards. The problem is that most people think that they can deposit the kind of reward they want in their bank account. Or they can show it off to other people. Folks, rewards in the kingdom of heaven are so much better than that. And when it comes to rewards, it's not bad to pursue them. And so I would love for us to be a church full of people looking to be rewarded by God after the resurrection. That we would love his pleasure and we would look toward his kingdom and we would say, I want rewards, but I want the right kind. I want the kind that God has promised us that don't fade away don't rust, that don't, aren't, aren't, aren't eaten by moths, but that last forever and ever and ever. So I'd be thrilled if people would say, if they look at our church, I don't get it. It's not an overly impressive group of people. It doesn't look like a whole lot according to the world is going on there. But those people, man, they're excited about it. They love each other. And they're just gathering together in joy over there. I, I don't get, I would love that. To say, we're not pursuing any type of reward that that people who don't get this are going to understand. We're pursuing a type of reward that we see the greatest of all values in. Now look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master said, master of the house became angry, said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. So first, what did the servant report? He reported that there were a bunch of people who had no interest in coming at the invitation of the master. They made excuses. Who buys a field and then goes to inspect the field? Who buys five yoke of oxen without seeing if they're healthy first? Maybe I get the guy whose wife wouldn't let him go. That was a joke. That's a, that's a terrible excuse too. Here's the point. If we're too consumed with the here and now, we're not going to be in a good position to go at the welcome of Jesus. It's God's grace to gently say, don't make excuses. Pay attention to what you are focusing on. The same thing happens. The master of the house says, go and get the people who will come in. Folks, don't be the person who says, I, I, I have to make an excuse. I, I, this, this isn't important to me. I don't see the value in this. I don't want to be here. I, I want to go do something else that's going to advance me in this world. Don't be an excuse maker. Don't let another day go by without opening the door to the invitation of Jesus. And what this creates is a people who are wholly called and shaped by the work of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And listen, I don't, I don't want to stretch this teaching too far. I think really Jesus does really mean for people who are normally rejected to, to be invited into his kingdom and into the, the people of God. 
But I think it's also within bounds here to say that if you don't feel like you belong because of something that's keeping you out, you don't have to think that any longer. If you think, I'm the unlovable, Jesus loves people who feel unlovable, and he goes out and he finds the lost. There is parable after parable about Jesus being the one who goes to find that which has been lost. And the third question we're going to ask then is what do we do so that others might, might join in the celebration? How do we play our, our part in knowing about the gracious invitation of Jesus? So at, at the end of this parable, after the excuse makers have said they, they are busy, after anyone who can be found who's brought in, has been brought in, just anybody, go find anybody, bring them in, there's still more room at the table. And all we have to take away from that is there's always more room in the kingdom of God. More people are always welcome. So if the metaphors here, this is a funny thing, because Jesus is at a meal and he's telling, and he's telling parables about being at banquets. So we've kind of got a story on top of us. We've got a meal on top of a meal. And if that's the metaphor, banquets at the meal, then it makes sense that part of what we are to do is to see that when we have meals, when Jesus is having a meal, when Jesus is inviting people into the kingdom of God, what he's saying is the table can always get bigger and the setting can always have more places in it. So my grandparents uh, had six kids and they loved to have people over to eat. And so what my grandpa did is he built a very large dining room off the back of his house. And he had in that dining room, because he could never fit a table of this size in, a custom-made dining table built that sat 16 people extremely comfortably. You could get well over 20 people at this time. So just, just it, picture how big the table was. When they sold the house, the table just had, they had to say, table stays at the house. You can't move it out of this room. When I think of the table that, God prepares for his people, I kind of picture a table a little bit like that. It's the biggest dining table I've ever seen in anybody's actual house. And when you can seat 16 people and they've all got elbow room, you can seat like 32 people at that thing and probably squeeze in a 33rd. If you need. There's always room for somebody else at a table that big. And this is the point of the kingdom of God. There's no wait list. There's no seating capacity. There's no sorry, we're all booked up tonight. At the table of Jesus, there's always room for more. And he will go out and he will call to everyone who will repent of their sin and who will turn to follow him. And then we can be a part of doing exactly the same thing. We're, I'm just beating the drum of Romans 15:7 in, in this whole sermon series. Welcome one another as Jesus welcomes you for the glory of God. How has Jesus welcomed you? The answer is he has prepared a place and then he went out and he found you to come and sit at it. I already talked about it, kind of an inversion in these parables. There's another inversion in this parable. In one, so we're told to look for people, right, who are of lowly outward appearance. Their social status probably isn't going to garner them a lot of dinner invitations to fancy parties. He said, so invite the poor and the frail, and the downtrodden. When there's room, people make excuses, right? Master commands, same thing, the poor, the blind, the lame. Church, 
the inversion here, and we have to see this, is in spirit, on our own, we are the poor. We are the blind. We are the weak. And Jesus goes out to bring us in. We're not the master throwing the party. We're the poor being called in to receive the blessing. That's the first thing we need to see. We are those who Jesus has gone and say, bring them in. I want them all in here. And praise be to God, because I'm not much to look at apart from the grace of God. Now, knowing that, I think it's also, we can also say this. We can host dinners too. Once you've learned that you're not the one putting together, you're not the put together one, you're the mess who Jesus is trying to reach. We're the broken that, that Christ can make new. We can go out and find other people to, to be a part of that same party. So when, when somebody finds a new restaurant, they lo- people love to tell you about a new restaurant that they've just discovered and they want you to go to. I mean, you got to go here. It's so good. The decor is so cool. You got to have this. It's the best. People love talking about a new restaurant. We can tell people about a place they got to come sit down and eat in the kingdom of God. And folks, we can, we can take this literally. I mean, why not do exactly this? It doesn't have to be a spiritual lesson. It doesn't have to be a metaphorical lesson. Why not have a dinner party and invite all kinds of people to your home and tell them about the grace of God? Because the grace of God is for anybody who will listen. So there's two words. I've kind of used them both as we've moved through this. They're they're synonyms, but they have a subtle difference. Uh, The words are width and breadth. Both are, are kind of terms for measurements. But breadth is typically reserved for things that are especially large. You probably wouldn't say, what's the width of the Grand Canyon? You'd say, what's the breadth of the Grand Canyon? Because it's so broad. That just saying, well, how wide is it? You can't just, you can't just get your Stanley tape measure and kind of roll it out there and go, well, so it's 25 feet or maybe a little less. I don't know. You, you're going to say, how big is this? How broad is this? The breadth of the gospel, the grace of God, is infinite. It's big enough for anybody who trusts in Jesus. Its depth is deep enough for whatever sin needs to be forgiven. So let's invite everybody to the grace of God. We can always set another place. That table can always be one place setting wider. We can always stretch the food for one more person. So let's do these things, church. Let's celebrate the grace of God, knowing that we are the ones who, though we look unlovely, have been sought and invited in. And then let's go out and let's find others who we might share the same good news of grace with. Yeah? Let's pray. God, may we be a church always looking to set another place at the table. Not for our glory, but for yours alone. May we always, and as long as you give us life and breath in a witness here, be a people 
that know that the grace of God is infinitely broad and infinitely deep for anybody, everybody, who would open the door to Jesus as he knocks. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.